Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Welcome to another episode of Bite Size Bunny. Oh, my God. <laughs> just turned into a all right, like wolf. 50s. Yeah, all right, Wolfman Jack. <laughs> what the yeah. Hell? Oh, yeah. Oh, you cool cats out there. He, uh, right. He's still, he's still uh, reliving the whole uh, Tiger King thing Tiger from King last King. week. <laughs> no, the whole yeah. thing from last week with uh, John and the Sultry Silence. Oh, yeah, that was also, yeah, definitely in my mind. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Bite Size Gaming Podcast, the podcast that's serving up a buffet of RPG topics to get you through your week. My name is Zach, and the host joining me this evening are John Christian and birthday boy, Troy Sandlin. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Happy birthday, Spanky. <laughs> I know this isn't coming out on your birthday, but we're recording this episode and the next one on your birthday, so we're going to wish... I, I plan on wishing you happy birthday for both, and hopefully that gets a trickle feed of people jumping onto your Facebook. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yeah. Who are wishing all these people? A, yeah, where? Belated birthday, two weeks old, whatever. Yeah. Like, I, no, that's... Yeah, no. Well, hey, uh, uh, j- side note. Uh-huh. Like, belated birthdays and stuff. Um, I ended my club bartending career at what I call um, uh, bartender's age of about 197. (laughs) And uh, that was because uh, pretty much every Thursday and Friday night, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night that I worked, the DJ (laughs) called me out and announced that it was my birthday. (laughs) And yeah, so people would come to the bar and, uh, you know, wish me happy birthday and, you know, all, all kinds of, all kinds of craziness would ensue, but, uh, yeah. Oh, that's <clears throat> the best. It's about 197. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, congratulations uh, on the transition. Too. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> and, uh, I guess this makes 138. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, so, uh, and, and many happy returns. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, we've got uh, a full slate for this evening. Uh, This episode is going to be an expanded news episode. Got a lot of things to cover. And then we're going to dive into a bit more Tasha's here at the end. We're going to cover the very first part of the book uh, where we talk about character post-creation customization. Um... And uh, we're going to get to that here in a minute. That'll probably be a shorter main course tonight. Um, uh, very appropriate, as we're now into the holiday season. Our snacking dessert course is just going to get longer and longer and longer. And we're going to have less yeah. room for, yeah. for real food. So, uh, so yeah, let's just dive right in and get rolling on these. Uh, let's see. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven. Uh, news articles tonight. We are um, fat with new, news articles tonight. Yes, we are. Yes. <clears throat> Heavily laden. Let's see. Um, John, you, you started it with this uh, in the pre, pre-show, pre so why don't you talk mm-hmm. about Tales from the Loop? All right, so Tales from the Loop is, is probably going to be old news for some. Uh, it's old news for me, uh, but some people haven't heard about it yet, and I've kind of had a, a recent resurgence in interest. Uh, the... Basic, the starter set uh, came out a couple of months ago. I finally got a chance to get my hands on it, looked it over. I've had the the core rule book for probably almost a year, almost two years now. Went into a game store, local game store, saw it, was mesmerized by the cover art, um, and went ahead and picked it up. And it's just kind of sat, collected dust on a shelf. So now, but. Uh, once I got the starter set, I also noticed that on uh, Roll20 has it available in a starter set form for 15 bucks right now, which is a pretty good deal, especially by comparison. Retail, it's like 25 bucks. 15 bucks is no big deal, yeah. especially that's like two or three, maybe even more four-hour sessions you can get out of that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I went have gone through the the uh, the starter set now, and it's really good. It's really tight. The mechanic is really tight. It's really simple. 
And if I tell you, some of the the third party games that have come out recently, the non the non D and Ds, right, that focus so much more on atmosphere, a cinematic experience, and RP, man, really starting to speak to me a lot. I mean, I'm a I'm a tactician at heart when it comes to D and D. I love grid play. I love having my minis and, and all the positioning and everything that goes that that goes with it. But uh, games like Edge of the Empire, uh, a lot of the Star Wars stuff that came up from Fantasy Flight, they've done such a really good job of explaining and positing what a more cinematic experience is. So I'm a big movie nerd anyway. Uh, and so the way that Tales from the Loop reads the descriptions of everything is it is not an adventure, it's a mystery. And every happening that occurs in the in the the mystery is a scene in effectively a movie or a book right so combination Mm of stranger things hardy boys goonies monster squad the the typical you know 80s uh kid ventures that they had back in the day so uh and the book is like i said it's really tight comes with a set of dice comes with a map of the nevada and the swiss loops um, mm-hmm. And the the, the surrounding uh, areas, the cities that, that your the 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 story revolves around. For those that haven't are not aware of what Tales from the Loop is, uh, it is an alternate '80s timeline where like fringe science has kind of encroached on reality. Right so after post World War II, a couple of major breakthroughs in weird science kind of came about through Hadron Collider being uh, uh, put together in Nevada and then a sister collider in Switzerland. Uh, the Russians come up with this thing called uh, Gravitrine, I think is what it's called, uh, which just effectively allows you uh, cars and large vehicles to, uh, to hover. Robots are like a common, common occurrence. Um, mm. But it feels a lot like, like Stranger Things. They call it haunting nostalgia is the kind of the way that they describe it. And it's that is probably the most apt thing. Because when I look at these images in Tales from the Loop, um, and I think about like the setting, that, like everything is still there. Michael Jackson's Thriller is out. Mm-hmm. Back to the Future came out. Like from all, everything from a cult, you know, neon, day glow colors, swatches, all that good stuff came out in the 80s. It's all, all there, right? So you've got this nostalgia, but there's something that's just a little askew a little bizarre, a little weird, a little alternative to it. That's uh, it's really really interesting. So, I'm mentioning that because I went on a tear uh, for my my uh, <laughs> my Black Friday, and I picked up Tales from the Loop. Uh, I already had the core book, core book. I picked up Things from the Flood, which is the follow up to Tales from the Loop, based in the '90s, and it's like a post disastrous alternative, mm. like after like this. You had this like uh, really upbeat hopeful 80s experience the 90s were kind of it kind of came crashing in so it's pretty cool and a couple of different uh the modules and campaign books and then the the starter set so that's a lot for that for that one in particular but uh i'm blowing it up man tales from the loop it's really really cool if you haven't looked it out looked it up uh check it out when you get an opportunity we'll obviously have that in the show notes simon stalinhog is the the guy that um put together he's an artist and author that uh created all these narrative art books and the the look is what of the the art that he created is where the RPG came. It, it was kind of birthed from all of that that world that he'd created. <clears throat> um, they even have an Amazon TV series, which is good, not mm-hmm. not great. So my I tried watching it with my wife. I liked it because I already like I was already hooked on the the RPG. She's like, "This is so slow," and like that that episode was pointless. I'm like, no, it's just like <laughs> <Stop>. existential. <laughs> it's like a, it's a, it's all this really slow existential thought provoking stuff, and it's not Stranger Things adventure kids type mm-hmm. stuff. So anyway, but that's my that's my big one for the for the evening. Yep, and you're going to be running that for some of us before too long, so I'm excited to check that out. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for that. Hopefully, I'm going to be one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cool. All right, so Tales from the Loop, the starter set. Uh, We'll put that in the show notes. Um, I'll go ahead and throw one of mine out. Um, Let's do a Kickstarter. Uh, Another Cobalt Press Kickstarter launched today. We're recording this on the 30th of November. Um, It has... A month to go, so you'll definitely have some time to hop in on this one if it's something that piques your interest. This is the beginnings of 
the true beginnings of their Southland series. Uh, this is a campaign setting that they've had uh, in the works for a while. There's been some a Southland Heroes book uh, that they put out uh, probably a few years ago for 5e. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a this is the true setting, and it's very um, Egyptian themed. I guess that's probably the right way to put that. Um, so if you like that, like desert Egypt, like like uh, like you know crocodile people and cat people and 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 mummies, mummies pyramids, and yeah, pyramids, rulership, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, if that's your if that's your jam, um, they're doing a world book which is a setting guide they're doing a player's guide they're doing a tales from beneath the sands which will be like a book of short stories or short adventures and then they're doing city of cats which is a city guide so four books three of which are hardcovers one kickstarter you are going to be spending ambitious if this is your type of thing uh you're going to be spending a lot of money on this um this is uh, and i kind of do like it though like they did this with Empire of Ghouls too, where they determined that they're going to do this and they're going to do the whole thing at once, like this whole setting. And so they're not him hauling around. You're not getting one book a year or whatever. It's like, we're going to drop it all on you. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to spend a couple hundred bucks to get all this. If you bought all four books, probably just about uh, maybe 160. Um, But it's going to be quality. Um, I could say for myself, I'm really excited about the player's guide because Cobalt Press always does interesting things with their player options, and I'll definitely pick that up. Then I'll probably also pick up their Tales from Beneath the Sands. Uh, I doubt I ever run in their actual Southlands setting, but every Cobalt Press player's guide and every Cobalt Press collection of adventures are worth worth the money every time. So, um, I can highly recommend those, and I'm sure the other books are great if that's your if that's your setting. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, nice. yeah, and uh, they they started this sucker, uh, and uh, with just about half a day into it, they're almost up to eighty thousand dollars. So yeah, I saw that. And rock and roll. It's crazy to me that they they have seventy six thousand, seventy seven thousand at this point, with only seven hundred and thirty two backers. Mm-hmm. The math on that staggers my mind <laughs> yep. it's it's a lot of folks buying at that uh all at the well all three pdfs but also mm-hmm. um all three hardcover books or all four books in total um well i mean people know that it's quality yep i mean you're gonna buy them all anyways might as well just yeah. save a few bucks and order them all together right the other thing is cobalt press isn't let me see how best to put this they are typically pretty reasonable with their project timeline. They're calling this one for August of 2021, I believe. That's not unreasonable. That's about 10 months away or so. Um, they might go a little bit over that, but you're going to get these books within a year. Um, that is not the. That is becoming not the norm. Yeah, unfortunately. Especially for large. Yeah. So uh, that's that's also nice. It probably means that a chunk of it's already written. All right, uh, that's I think. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk uh, Upzone, John. Okay, so I mentioned Upzone in passing in the one of the last uh, episodes. I mentioned another Kickstarter where it was the uh, fold, not fold out, but like a, the a book of terrain that you could yep. open and you could use, right? And we'd mentioned Upzone, but I could not for the life of me remember the name of it. So I wanted to make sure that I dropped the name here they've only got 70 hours left as of this recording to uh for their kickstarter campaign so if you can get it whenever we when this drops um great if not i'm sure they'll have it in, in retail form sooner rather yeah, than later pre-order. but these are essentially like pop-up books where it's three-dimensional terrain in paper form uh they look fantastic the printing looks really good uh, and it's just it's different right it's mm-hmm. uh it is it's not something that you have to set up for the three-dimensional part, there's no paper craft gluing anything together. It is open up the book to that page or that part uh, in the book, and you've got a temple, you've got a pyramid, you've got you know all of the different uh, different things that are that are available as a part of it. And so I thought that was really cool, and uh, I wanted to make sure that I name dropped this time around in order to make sure that everybody knew what it was. Uh, we'd mentioned, like I said, we'd mentioned it before, 
So uh, uh, up zone, pretty cool. 3D folding yep. terrain. Yeah, it's, it's pretty I think, cool. I think it's got legs. Um, cool. Uh, let's keep the Kickstarter train rolling one more time. Uh, Troy. Yeah. What do you got? I've got, let's see, Ren's Guide to the Modern World and Its Cities. Uh, 250-page book. Uh, the artwork in this thing, it, it's got a very whimsical and fresh feel to it. Um, I like it. I, I dig it. Um, it's got 30 towns and cities and other, you know, uh, places like that. But it, it's kind of, to me, it's along the lines of like what uh, Matt Coville was doing with the, the okay. followers of Strongholds and things like that. It's got, uh, like I said, the, the already done cities. And then you, it's got rules or idea seeds for you to make your own. Uh, transportation uh, within cities and f- between cities, shops, residences, uh, guilds, services, uh, even uh, classes and archetypes, NPCs, a bestiary, um, all kinds of like the the class citizen. You can you can now play a citizen. Hmm. And so it's got rules for that. Um, new races. Like one of the pictures, it shows the last bastion of the Forge Knots, and it's got like this giant robot behind the this half door, uh, looking down into the marketplace of the city. You know, like when something mm-hmm. happens, this thing gets released and defends the city and things like that. It it's something that I just you know wandered across right before the podcast here, and just thought you know this looks really pretty. I mean. Mm-hmm. Yes, like I said, it's got that uh, fairy tale look to it. It does. I kind of, I dig the art. This is, um, just as a note, like, um, like the, the, the idea of it threw me initially, and this is from Spain, so maybe it's in the, the translation, but the idea of modern world and its cities. Is it a, um... It's not a. It's not a, like reskinning five e for our world, right? Right. This no, no, is, no. Yeah. It, yeah. It, I think it's like you know the the modern world as in modern fantasy because they they show gotcha uh, airships, um, steampunk type trains. Then you're you know people riding on things that look like uh, pterodactyls. So it's modern world as gotcha. far as fantasy goes. Interesting. And well, it, is geared, um, it is geared towards a uh, 5e D&D. So. Perfect. It's got 22 days to go yep, uh, right now, so it'll still have a few days left on it when, when this drops. Um, and uh, they should hit their goal. They're doing oh, well. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, they've got about almost 10000 of $15,000 goal, so they should be all right. And that's good because it, it does look great and looks yeah. like somebody spent a lot of time on this art, so there's a lot of it. Cool. Awesome. Um, Links in the show notes. Now let's hop off the Kickstarter train. Let's talk about these last two projects. Um, I'm going to do a call back. A few weeks ago, we talked about a uh, product called Neon Knights um, that you could get on the DMs Guild by a Christian icorn. And we talked about it being uh, Eberron Cyberpunk. Yeah. Well, Christian Icorn has dropped a uh, Cyber Monday surprise and has uh, released a second adventure for this uh, updated setting. Uh, It's called Hack Coven. Um, Hack uh, colon coven. Um, It is... I picked it up. Uh, I gave it a read through. I wanted to be a little bit more knowledgeable about it this time around, about his projects or products, and give you guys a bit more of an understanding of what you're getting into. Um, this is really interesting. I really like, again, really great layout. Um, this on the DMs Guild. You can pick it up for, I think, five bucks. Uh, 30 pages, full color. Um, really, really nice. Um, in this adventure, he has conceived of the idea. So Sharn is now called 
because uh, it was called the City of Towers, right? Like that was uh -huh. its original name, right? It's now called the City of Neon Towers. And the whole of Sharn is kind of ground zero for something called a, um, oh boy, the Mesh. And the Mesh is a cyberpunk or cyber plane. Something, a tech plane that has been manifested by all the arcane technology. So think about like the plane of fire or the, the Feywild or whatever. Now you have this weird cyberpunk plane that's kind of like entering the net, right? So you have all your tech, you know, viral <laughs> monsters. Leave me the cube. And, yeah, exactly. Well, it sounds like it sounds like uh, like you're going into the the grid in Tron. Yes, yeah. right? very much yeah, so. Right, like awesome. that's definitely um, how it is. And there's a lot of um, different creatures that you can encounter in there. There's a whole bunch of Warforged um, that have entered that net, um, and that's been and they've kind of been transformed by that. Uh, that's really cool. Um, and kind of the impetus of this adventure. It, without giving away too much, those Warforged are called Fire War for Firewall Forged is actually what they're called, which I thought was pretty. Of course funny. they are. Uh huh. Um, That's awesome. There's a there's a hammer called the Ban Hammer um, that you can get in there. <laughs> um, it's it's that kind of thing. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but uh, the Fantastic. hook I thought was really cool. Um, a group of hags that are called oh boy, oh boy, uh, I should have pulled this up. Boop, 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 boop. They are called techno hags. Have slipped into Sharn, and they have taken this old oil tanker. You know the big oil trucks, the cylinders. They've taken this big oil tanker and they've turned it into their coven lair. So they hide out in this and they hack into the mesh, and they inject viral curses into people who are. Uh, uh, you know, slipping in there themselves, and uh, so it all comes down to they they've infected this warforged with a curse, and he's done a crime, and it's up to you to find this warforged, hack into his brain, uh, enter the mesh, and uncover the truth of what's going on, and then take it back to the techno hags and and give them what's coming to them. Uh, so. so the real question is, uh, when are you running this again? Oh Zach? man, I want to so bad. <laughs> like, it's it's gonna be great. I will run these at some point. I'm I'm committing right now on podcast to run both of these adventures because they're pretty awesome. You know, we should get this guy on the podcast. I bet we could get this. You know, guy. I was thinking the same it. thing. It's like we just we you know we we've uh, talked about two of his products. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna make that happen. So yeah, there we go. Uh, that was Hack Coven on the DMs Guild. We've got one more, and this one I say for last because uh, John went on a tirade, and Troy joined in, and then I followed suit um, right what? before this launched. Uh, John, talk to us about the latest Wiz Kids announcement. Okay, so let, let me preface it by saying this: like all the creators that put this thing together, good for you. I'm proud of you. Did I'm sure you did really great work. I don't mean to dump all over it, but this is just really <laughs> stupid. <laughs> sorry, I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah, okay. So D and D icons of the realms uh, from Wiz Kids. They are releasing a new product in April of 2021, the Yawning Portal Inn. Uh, it is a three tiered uh, set piece terrain. Uh, with the the por portal in the center, a spiral staircases going up, uh, long bar sections, LP sections, short bar, a couple of uh, barrels. There's even I think they're throwing in a Durnin miniature yeah, in there. Yeah, you got you got a Durnin. You get a Durnin. You do. Yep. A statue yeah. of Timora. You get an LED lit fireplace, color changing, lit well. That's got like this infinity pool kind of vibe going to it. So. Uh, if you are really, 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 really into the Yawning Portal, and if you plan on making that like a base of operations, possibly, or you plan on centering somehow your entire campaign around this, maybe it's worth the $350 that you'd have to shell out for this. But uh, 
No, probably not for me. Uh, I think that is an asinine sum to pay for a set piece. Like, look, I would just as soon get some her start uh, molds, grab some some uh, some dental clay, and then go to town and put my own together. And it would I would the the garbage paint job that I would probably put on put put on them would be <laughs> more satisfying than spending three hundred and fifty dollars on this. Yeah. This is just I don't know how they're going to sell enough of these to constitute how much they invested into like the, the molds and the art and everything else they're shelling out for This just seems like such a, a whiff. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's a, um, uh, I didn't bring it up in our, in our pre-talk, but um, there, they also announced another product along with it called the tower. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's basically a big wizards, chunky, like three level or four level wizards tower. Yeah. And it's, it's $250. It's, Okay, five level. I yeah. think, yeah. Um, it's $250, and that's still a lot. But I can also see where you might say, well, I will use this tower mm-hmm. a lot. A lot. What would a uh, lot be, though, for the, for a tower? Like, that's right. just, like, to me, it's like putting all your eggs into one. Look, if you've got hear disposable you, but... income and you feel like showing yeah. out 250 bucks, look, d- go. I mean, if you enjoy it, like for me at least, just for me, I'm not dumping on anybody else's stuff, but like, no way, man. I I would rather invest that 350 into some Dwarven Forge or that's fair, yeah, or something else like it's, that. That I something's mod, modular that I can reuse. Now again, but, but actually, you go ahead and say your piece, Zach. You were well. You were I was just gonna say tower. like like there's also those statues, the Living Waterdeep statues, mm-hmm. right? That sit that that are like I don't know a hundred dollars that. Mm. You're never going to use almost certainly this, but, but it sits on your shelf. I feel like this is that focal piece that would be on your shelf maybe. And then you would bring it down for like the iconic fight with the wizard or whatever, right? Like, um, you would probably use it once or twice per campaign and put it back. And I'm sorry, we're detracting from yawning portal, but, uh, no, it's, that all, back it's all in, the same thing, man. It's all this. It's yeah. all the same thing. Tying it back in, I guess, is that like. I could see this will the tower at least would look good on your shelf and you would use it maybe a couple times a campaign. If you're not in Waterdeep and, and even if you are you you're not going to use that uh that tavern it's cuz it's not it, it's too iconic to use any other way and they don't have mm-hmm. a retrofit option for it to just be a basic tavern which would at least help. But it's always going to look like the awning portal and it doesn't it isn't it doesn't because it's this like two like half two D half three D idea. It's not going to look great sitting on your shelf mm-hmm. either. So yeah, no. I I don't see uh, so, the win here. And before I get the hate mail or somebody pointing it out, yes, I would spend three hundred and fifty dollars on the end of the last home. So shut up and leave me alone about it. Okay, <laughs> but at least it's kind of that's. I'll give I'll give you that one. At least that's kind of cool. It's a it's an inn in a tree. Yeah. So. Mm. Yeah. Well, people could say the same thing about the yawning portal too, man. That's just that it's, it's maybe, it's an maybe it boils down to like it's not my it's not the not the the scratch for my itch, you know. It's like Fair I just I couldn't. Con- I will say this though, uh, I'll help you defend the, the tower if you have Darren's instant fortress. This could be your mobile fortress that you fight dragons yeah. with, or you sit outside of the enemy stronghold, or this is like your base of operations or something like that. That I could see. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Right. I just like it's. I think it's the price tag that gets slapped on it. Oh, Three hundred and fifty dollars for paper craft is effectively like only like twenty five to thirty percent of the the yawning portal is actual plastic molded product. The rest of it, it's all hard like hardboard. Did you see yeah. that? Like, if you're gonna buy it all, you have to buy the beds and bottles, three D beds and bottles for fifty dollars. The bars and tables, three D is another fifty dollars. All like the barmaids and everything, like friendly faces, yawning portal, miniatures pack is forty dollars. Like there, it's gonna be three hundred and fifty bucks plus another hundred and fifty oh. bucks worth of oh. assets to go in it. You're talking yeah, yeah. five hundred bucks to get a really statted out, a true statted out yawning portal. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, no way. Crazy. No. Uh, Sorry, wizards. I don't mean to dump yeah. on you, Listen, kids. Actually, Good I will you. say that yes, there's someone paper. from Wiz Kids listening, and they're like, "No, you got it wrong." Uh, we would be happy to test out your product and do a re. You know, if you want to send us one or two or three, we'll give it yes. a full shakedown and we'll give, give our it, honest yeah, opinion. Send us yeah. three. Prove me wrong, yeah, please. And oh, and if, yeah. if you're if you need somebody for like to reference the, the that uh, 
that end of the last home project you guys are working on on the slide, just let me know. It's fine. Yeah. I'll, I'll help yeah, out with that too. Uh -huh. yeah. So, hope yeah. well, awesome. Uh, I hope uh, I hope that was enough news for everyone because that's all we got. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all we lot. got. Yeah. It, listen, that's there is something for every RPG year on uh, for Christmas on this list. Like mm -hmm. there is something for everyone there. Um, so I think we can safely move on having covered everything. I'll go ahead and note for everyone that our next uh, episode, what, whenever it drops, is going to have zero um, news. So you're getting all of it up front right now. All right. Let's do the main course, fellas. Let's talk about Tasha's a bit more. Um, we, uh, for listeners who may not have caught the first episode um, that we did, we are not going through this book in order. That's not, that was not our plan. We're kind of bouncing around. We're covering those things that we find interesting. Um, last week or, or the last episode, true episode, we talked about group patrons. Um, and that was a great episode. I think there's a lot of awesome stuff in there. Um, mm -hmm. This time, uh, we are going to be talking about the new character options at the beginning of the book that indicate a radical shift in my mind from what D&D has been to what it is going to be. John, uh, to start us off with, you talked a couple weeks ago about the modularity of 5th edition mm -hmm. and how you're, you know, you, you bolt on different things. Right. Um, even things like feats. Feats are meant to be an optional bolt-on to the game. Yep. Um, something that was considered somewhat core not too long ago. In my mind, this first section where they talk about customizing your origin, changing a skill, and changing your subclass is wizards stripping 5th edition down even further and turning a lot of our originally core content into modular content. Mm-hmm. Because it really removes the idea of what is a race and what is a class or a subclass mm -hmm. and how do they work. And it really strips it down to the skeletal framework and says, bolt on whatever you see, uh, however you see fit and whatever you see fit to fit your world, your setting, your players, your table, your DM. Um, is that what you guys got out of this? Yeah, that's. I know that there was a lot of lamentation about about this this part of the book in particular felt like a betrayal to tradition a betrayal to the the original mythology or like the tolkien-esque origins or even like the, the scandinavian nordic origins of dwarves and elves and uh things like that for me it's uh i think it was best explained by jeremy crawford whenever he's he's like look nobody's saying that doing it the old-fashioned way is wrong. Right. Or doing it like a dwarf with a plus-two con, plus-two strength, mountain dwarf, or whatever. Nobody's saying that there's anything wrong with that necessarily. But what they're saying is, like, these are effectively, like, the paragons of their race. Like, the, a, a dwarf's dwarf has these stats. Like, a very dwarfy dwarf has... A mountain dwarf has plus-two con, plus-two strength. A very dwarf. A very, a very hill dwarfy dwarf has plus-two con and plus-one to wisdom. Right? And so if you want to play a dwarfy hill dwarf, then you should go with the, the tried and true. However, if you want to play the hill dwarf or the dwarf that needs to fit more in... Sorry, guys. We're going to do it again. Dragonlance. You want to do, like, a Thaywar or the Dark Dwarves, which are not strong. They are not wise. They are crafty and cunning, and they may be a little bit more dexterous. They may be more intelligence-based and things like that. You may... If you want to... what This is not... I don't see this as... This is the way that you have to do it. This is more of... This is a... All we're doing is we're unfolding additional tools out of the Swiss Army Knife for you to be able to run the game the way that you want to run the game and the way that your players want to be able to play the game. And what they're doing here really is they're kind of they're opening up the hood and showing you inside. Like here are the equivalents, right? This this stat goes to this in order to maintain balance across the board. So this doesn't hurt my feelings. I don't have yeah. to use it if I don't want to at my table. No one's going to come into my house and, you know, <laughs> you know, set my table on fire for, for playing it. You know, I thought the old you were going to say, way. 
no one's going to come into my house and force me to use any of these rules Nobody. that I hate. You yeah. can't make me do it. <laughs> yeah. No, like, I, I get uh, it. I've actually I had a I had a game when we did uh, we did Storm King's Thunder. I wanted yeah. to reward my players for doing an all dwarf party, but mm-hmm. I also didn't want to beat the have beat them around the head and the ears by making them use stat blocks that were not optimal for a wizard, mm-hmm. sorcerer, or otherwise. So I did just about the exact same thing that they're doing here. I said, look, you can swap these stat blocks around, and you're still a dwarf. Right, you still got yeah. resistance to poison. You still got this, that, and the other, and that's yep. very dwarfy. But yeah. So, so for listeners out there, because I may have jumped the gun, I apologize. Um, what changes are there? There, yeah, uh, basically, the idea being that um, your ability scores, your languages, your proficiencies, and your personality that are the framework of traditional your traditional races can all be changed however you see fit for your character, assuming your DM approves these things but you're not tied to any of the ability scores uh notated for the race traditionally or any of the languages or any of the proficiencies you can swap out skill proficiencies you can swap out weapons or tools or anything mm-hmm. um you can change the personality to be something that's completely different than the traditional um and then the continuing on from that um with every level or at certain levels, depending on what your DM allows, you can swap out one skill proficiency for another. That's now a part of the rule set, optionally, is if you find that insight is not serving you well in uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage and you'd rather have perception, you can do that when you level. Just swap it out and not worry about it. Um, And then same with subclass. They recommend that you can only swap your subclass when you would get a feature for a subclass. Um... Upon leveling and they also have suggestions in there for as a DM having players spend gold and downtime on that transition but you can now change your subclass at any point um, as well Um, so that's kind of the changes that we're going to be talking about tonight is uh, the new options to origin swapping out skills in any level and uh, swapping subclasses. Uh, Mike, I guess my, the, the next question I would pose to both of you, and Troy will have you start maybe, is what of these do you really like? Like, which ones of them connect with you and you say, ooh, these are good, I enjoy this, or I might use this? I like it all. He likes it all. I like it all. Um, well, that's the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> Done. <laughs> I mean, basically what this is doing is just uh, making it... Uh, rules official the stuff that i've been doing anyway because Mm -hmm. it it had always bothered me that to keep with the the dwarf um examples you know you've got these beings that are supposed to be master craftsmen and there's always these awesome dwarven weapons and, and and magical armors and stuff but there's not a single dwarven wizard out there yeah why Yep. Um, runesmiths, right? Runes, yeah. Rune, like runic magic was such a big thing back in the old days, right? Like you couldn't, you can't have a dwarven wizard with like intelligence may as well be their dump stat these days. Yeah, <laughs> and and you know people argue, well, you know, you got your your uh, your ability ability score improvement, yes, but you're still always going to be behind another race that has intelligence as as one of their Right. Racial stat bumps. So you're you're always going to be, you know, ticking up behind, trying to catch up, and you're never going to. So mm-hmm. why not? Because you're not losing, like what you were saying. Dwarves are hardy. Yes, they are. Because you're a dwarf, regardless of where you were raised, who raised you, who taught you, whether you're strong or whatever else, you're still hardy. Why? Because you get advantage to poison checks you know saves against poison things like that just because some dwarves get a plus two to constitution that just means they're even more dwarfy than the normal dwarf yeah right so this makes it easier to create the character that you want to create it gives you the ability to tell the story that you want to tell with that character um yeah 
I, I just, I like it all. The ability score increases, the languages, because, I mean, yeah, it just makes sense. Where were you raised? I was raised over here. Well, I didn't learn that language because I'm over here. Hmm. I think it opens up so much more possibilities than what it restricts, you know, from the, from the naysayers. So. Yeah. I, I think I agree with like 80, 85%. Um, and I think that maybe that's that statement of it opens up more than it restricts. Um, I think I wholeheartedly agree with that because I think that, yeah, pretty much we as DMs, at least I feel like all three of us have done bits and pieces of this probably throughout the years anyway. Mm-hmm. So this isn't something new that we're like, whoa, you touched the Bible. Um, you rewrote it. Yeah, uh, this is this is familiar territory as a dungeon master. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I am loath about is the changing a skill. Yeah. That was good. That's learn, what, that was my, my one gripe was learn a new skill, learn a new yeah. skill. Don't drop one. Just go. Mm-hmm. There's already rules in the DMG for training That's and fair. learning new skills. Right. The, the the idea of like man I really regret that my character is insightful I wish that he was more perceptive it's like well right. there's a great way to do that and you can have both um, yeah I, I agree like if you're gonna invest time and money downtime whatever it is invested in adding that skill on as as opposed to trying to remove one in order to 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 uh, crowbar or leverage leverage another right. And that this is not um, skills are not a make or break character, right? Like we're get, we'll talk about subclasses here in a second. Changing a subclass, if you're in the subclass that you don't like, that like let's say as an example that you you're playing a uh, berserker barbarian and they they're a one trick pony, and you're like, man, I am I, I want something with more meat. That is a reasonable like shift because you are not having fun or or a certain level of fun and shifting that will allow you to do that mm-hmm. changing a skill is my character is subpar in this area mm-hmm. and i want him to be better but i'm not willing to put in the training time i just want to swap it out real quick and maybe for like a casual game i don't really i wouldn't really care but to me that's not that's not you that's a whole different animal well, and I know that we're talking about silly things like dwarves, elves, pixies, and things like that. So realism, I'll, I'll probably end up getting that knock back at me at some point out there. But like honestly, if I, as a programmer, how do I unlearn being a programmer? Logic. Uh, how do I like? How does a, a physician un, unlearn medicine, pharmaceutical anatomy? How do you unlearn something you already know it? Like unless there was a some kind of a story reason where you were yeah. hit on your head, you got amnesia, maybe. But otherwise, I, I get what they're trying to do here. Like, I to me, this scene feels like, ex- I, except for I'm gonna, I'm sticking with to my guns on changing a, a skill seems silly to me. But even say, changing your subclass to your point, Zach, it, to me, it's like people have been want, have been doing it before, but there's there is no real like official framework. Hey, look, we know you guys are probably moving some things around and tinkering with your, your subclasses because your players don't really know exactly what they're getting into until they really start playing it yeah. and kicking the tires. Look, if you're going to do that, here is a baseline, right? Yeah. We're, we're going to give you a tool that you can use, but they're not necessarily forcing it on the player base as this is 5.5, right? Or this is sixth edition. Yeah. This is the way that things are done. This is. They're saying, Hey, this is balanced. Done. You shouldn't yeah. be freaking out about it. Yeah. Um, it's not going to hurt the game as from a mechanic standpoint for you to shift some things around at different stages. Right. So let's talk, let's talk a little bit about the subclass idea. Um, I, this one I'm all for. Um, I think that this is a, this is something that players run into all the time. Um, in fact, with Tasha's I've had, well, even before Tasha's in the last three months, I think I've had three players at least talk heavily about swapping their subclasses for different reasons. Um, some of them are like, man, I'm playing a, a fighter. They're, one of them's playing a purple dragon knight, and they're like, this is boring. <laughs> like, I'm used to playing a wizard. 
there is there i'm a one trick pony to the extreme and i'm and they're like you know would it be all right if i switched to battle master or eldritch knight or something like absolutely i understand i would never play it a basic fighter at this point um so i sympathize and sure let's do it other people look at new releases like tasha's right and they say ooh, new shiny thing i've been playing this subclass for a year and a half I'd like to dip my toe in something different, something exciting now. Um, and that's that's valid. I don't, you know, like different strokes for different folks, but I understand yeah. being excited about the new shiny thing and wanting to give it a spin. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yeah, what was the I, point of me buying this book if I can't use any of the stuff in it? Yeah, right. yeah. And and also there's there's really good examples that Tasha's gives for changing a subclass for story mm-hmm. reasons right yeah, like yeah. they talk about a tempest cleric or a war cleric um turning to a life cleric because of an experience that they had that makes them want to preserve life instead of take it or mm-hmm. a cleric who's or a paladin who's an oath of the um devotion who mm-hmm. fails in that oath and now they're an oath of vengeance right like that's that feels right to me um, well, you can even go like uh, I go old, go really old school with video games, right? I'll do Final Fantasy four, right? One of the main mm-hmm. characters in Final Fantasy four was Cecil, who went to the uh, the town of Mount Ordeals, and he went from being a Dark Knight to a Paladin. So he completely changed his because he was transmogrified, trans or transmorphed or whatever you want to say, right? He essentially morphed from one thing into another. I see Zach is furiously typing over here now. No, 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 you're good. Okay. Um, yeah. So the uh, so uh, you, there are definitely there are story precedences where there's a transfiguration, right? Where they they go from being one thing to another. If they become a paladin, they become a monk because they take a vow of poverty. They go. On, they have a a montage training montage, 80s style, and they they are retrained. They retrain their body. Um, that's it's harder unless there's like a, a physiological and like uh, like a supernatural. Reason for the change? I can see the oath, the the subclasses, but like a full blown like a class conversion, I mm-hmm. can see that being it's a harder thing to explain away. But I mean, again, this boils once again boils down to you don't have to use it if you don't want to, but if you want to use it, there it is. Like everything else in the DMG, right? Yeah. Honor points, uh, or the honor honor system, sanity points, honor honor. Like none of that, the gritty healing, none of that stuff is required. It's all optional material. This is no different than that. Well, so my question would be, why did we not see, so if you look at the headers, right, customizing your origin, changing a skill, changing a subclass, why did we not have another one that says changing your class? Now, before we say, well, that's a whole complex thing, as of AL guidelines right now, you can rebuild now all the way up to level 10. Yeah. So AL is typically more limiting than the standard rules, right? Like they typically uh, will use, they'll probably use some, they will use some of this in Tasha's and they won't use other pieces of it. Um, But here's an element where they have actually gone one step further and said, oh, you want to completely scrub. You've been a ranger for five levels. You want to be a wizard now? Just rebuild it. And for level six, become six levels of wizard. why do you think that wasn't included as an option? Because maybe it's the obvious. It's a complete rebuild, right? You can start from the very... Like, the only thing... In AL, the only thing that you have to retain is your name, right? Yeah, the only thing... Or do you, yeah, or do you, you even have to do that anymore? Well, there's no way for them to... Like, before you had to, like, actually record it. Right. Now it's not... Nobody's nobody's looking over that shoulder. <laughs> it's not and you don't, marked and you don't, somewhere. And you don't have, like, the... Uh, cards or certificates for any of your items or anything like that anymore yeah yeah no yeah i don't know to me to me it would it wouldn't have been a long thing but the idea of like if you don't like your class just rebuild it done is something that i kind of expected to be there at the end and it wasn't there too obvious i guess maybe it's like well there's it's superfluous they know that they like they should know how to do that do we really need to tell them that but like, what isn't it? Isn't the idea that you can swap out, you know, uh, common for undercommon as a language, pretty mm-hmm. obvious too? But they felt the need to uh, put it in. I, I'm not upset about it. We all agree it's obvious. It's just I'm mm-hmm. curious as to why they decided to leave out 
this obvious thing and keep the others. Because uh, this feels like, again, it feels like stripping it down and saying, here are all the ways that you can change your character at any given time that are still balanced. And maybe they feel like, maybe there's an idea that they feel like it's imbalanced to build a six level wizard all at once, but I can't imagine how it would be. So. <sighs> all right. Um, anything else that you guys uh, had as thoughts for this section? No, I don't think so. I think it's kind of a storm in a tea kettle mm -hmm. with a lot of it. I think that people that were complaining about it, maybe they hadn't read it before, or it's just a matter of being like change is, is weird. Change is painful change for a lot weird. of people. Mm -hmm. And so they, it's, it's easy to complain about change, but yeah. I, just, I didn't see it. Yeah. We're going to get in, uh, in our next episode, we're going to get into some changes that they made to some of the classes that I think are going to draw more frustration uh, mm -hmm. ire, interest, intrigue, all of those good, good words. Um, uh, but I think you're right. I think this one is a safe set that, uh, you're going to prob have probably already adopted in by and large. And, and mm -hmm. this is just a set in stone way of doing it. So cool. All right. Well, I think that's a pretty good, uh, wrap for this episode then. Uh, so we're going to call it quits here. Uh, be sure to check us out on Facebook and uh, get a notification as soon as our uh, Twitch streams go live, when our uh, podcast episodes drop, and all those other fun things that we've got uh, in the works. Um, we'd love for you to, to reach out to us and tell us what you thought about this episode or any of the others. And let us know if there's any topics that you'd like for us to discuss in future episodes. We're always fishing for new things that uh, uh, are something we can hash out in, in, in an episode. So. Uh, for myself, Troy, and John, we'll see you next week. Have a good game, everybody. Bye, everybody. Stay safe. Um, I don't know what people get out of this that they wouldn't get just listening to our podcast. Um, well, that, let's see. The faces. Your face. It's like <laughs> it's like one step forward and two steps back. Well, you know. Um, no, you I don't. You tell them, Paula. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh...